0: And welcome to the new year in Father Spitzer's Universe at the intersection of faith and reason. I'm Doug Keck as we continue into 2022. Your questions are always important on this program, so email them to us at spitzersuniverse, one word, at ew10.com. Check out Father Spitzer's Magic Center website, crediblecatholic.com, and his all-new website, purposefuluniverse.com, as well. covers the whole panoply there. The show is also always available on EWTN's On Demand channel and our YouTube channel in case you miss any portion of the program. And of course, uh, today's topic is the signs of demonic possession from Father's book, Christ vs. Satan in Our Daily Lives. It's available through the EWTN Religious Catalog. And the book of the month for January, interesting book. It's Graceful Living, great way to kick off the new year. Meditations to help you grow closer to God day by day by our own Johnette Benkovic-Williams, of course, uh, Johnette's wonderful book. And with that being said, and some flashing lights here in the studio, we're gonna turn to Father who will lead us in prayer to
1: help things off to a good start in this new year. Father. Uh, In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks. For your many blessings to us, the blessing of this new year, the blessing too of this ministry, please send your Holy Spirit down upon Doug, myself, our whole audience this day, so that everything we do and say will be brought to fruition in your will for the good of your people, your church, and your kingdom. We ask all of these things through Jesus our Lord. Amen. Amen. And Mary, seat of wisdom and St. John Neumann, Pray for us. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Father. It's
0: great to see you. Happy New Year. I hope you had a blessed Christmas. Happy New Year. To you technically too. still I in the Christmas season, of course. But, uh...
1: Yes. Yes. So let me
0: ask you uh, were you always well aware of how to? Pronounce Neumann's name. You know, I, when I when I first saw, it, there was John Henry Newman and John. I thought his name was Newman. Then I found out his name was Neumann. Uh, was yeah. ever an issue for you, or we, you you were too smart well, you to know, have I that problem? I said a
1: little German, uh, so I did. I recognized right away. Mm. Oh, that's probably a German name, and it's probably pronounced Neumann. But but um, you know, I you know, it could have just as easily have pronounced it Newman if I hadn't. You know, known any German, right. um, so <laughs> you know that was. Uh, luckily, I didn't find out about him until I knew a little German. There you go. So uh, otherwise, I certainly would have mispronounced the name.
0: <laughs> there you go. Well, I appreciate you coming to my rescue on that. Uh, let's get to a couple <laughs> of topics that happened over, sure. obviously, Christmas and and the New Year's. I thought this mm-hmm. was interesting. Uh, Elon Musk warns of demographic winter, and this was uh, yeah. a story that came out of, of Europe actually. Uh, He said, the civilization is going to crumble if declining birth rates continue. I think he's must have been watching the show and some of your comments recently. Uh, Mm -hmm. And this is the point he makes. Yet so many people, he said, including very smart people, think that there are too many people in the world and think the population is growing out of control. It's completely the opposite. And he alludes to the fact that some of it has to do with their misunderstanding or concerns about the climate crisis. Your thoughts?
1: Yeah. Yeah, no, I think, uh, you know, he actually said this about five years ago, Mm -hmm. um, where he also pointed it out. He said, look, there's going to be a population implosion. And I think it's around 2076, if I'm not mistaken, um, that this is going to happen. But it could actually happen sooner if we bring the population rate down. But about 60 uh, percent of the countries in this uh, in the in the globe around the world will experience an implosion problem, which will have uh, you know a, a triple dire effect. Mm-hmm. Uh, the first is that in all developing nations. Uh, we're going to see that there are, is so little replacement population. This would be in nations especially where there is not a high immigration rate. So um, you're going to see that um, uh, because of that, the younger population that's in the group is going to be responsible for subsidizing a much, much larger, proportionately uh, larger um uh, older population and so it's going to become an economic crisis both on the individual level as well as straining the social services that uh government and other uh, NGOs can provide so this is going to be a big problem for developing nations secondly uh, it's going to force uh, right now we see in europe of course uh, there the gastarbeiters in in germany the guest workers in germany and so forth and there's also the the um, in the United States, of course, we have many, many immigrants that are coming uh, to do agricultural work and so forth here in the United States. And these are going to become more and more imperative. Now what, the interesting thing is, going I mean, we can't do without immigrants. We're going to absolutely need it. And as we approach, right, uh, you know, just asymptotically even um, 2076, those immigrants will become essential not only to our economy but essential for getting the necessities of life. So it's going to be a a dire need to, uh, as they say, open the immigration spigots more and more. But uh, of course, in order to do that, you really have to be exceedingly well prepared Mm -hmm. with education, Um, with you know transition um, programs to help uh, immigrants come in and make a good transition with their families to bring the families over as well as uh, just bringing over the workers etc so we're going to have these what are called social tensions uh, and and difficulties that are Mm going to accompany the, the uh, economic difficulties and getting what we call the inelastic goods, the necessity goods to the market uh, in those developing countries. So this is also going to produce, uh, um, you know, a, a big problem. Now, mm-hmm. the third problem is going to happen in the developing countries, because as the immigration spigots open, what's going to wind up happening is all the brain power in these developing countries they're going to be coming to um, you know places like Europe, United States, etc mm-hmm. uh to subsidize our economies and of course they're going to be given great incentives for making this move which is going to deplete these developing nations right in the mid course of development mm-hmm. now because these so-called overpopulation programs Are working so well um, as people become educated in developing countries the population of course is shrinking so it's really going to cause a concomitant problem in the developing countries both economically and with respect to their technological and business infrastructure which is going to be robbed of their educated populace so this is this is like are you kidding me Mm -hmm. you think overpopulations problem Elon Musk is absolutely correct and by the way you can get this uh, demographic predictions in very well known journal called the lancet um it's the top medical journal in britain and if you just go to that journal and um gosh i will have to get you but if you just put into your google search engine lancet population demographics and then just put um uh population implosion 2076 you should come up with the article absolutely fascinating done by really good credible research right. uh, i think uh, elon musk is straight on he's got no agenda whatsoever overpopulation is the myth that people have been screaming it has been for by the way uh, for decades mm-hmm. and yet the the, the it, it seems in the united nations even in the united states right, right. the propaganda movement just continues to go on People talking about controlling the population for the sake of the climate, people right. co- controlling the population in, in order to make sure that we don't come into a Malthusian problem. Malthusian problem, we don't have a Malthusian crisis. We got a contra Malthusian crisis. I mean, this is ridiculous. It's absolutely ridiculous. And, and Elon Musk is right. He's just pulling out his hair. You can tell in that article. He's saying, what's the matter with people? Right. Look at the demographics, you nitwits. We right. are not suffering overpopulation. We're heading right into an implosion problem for which there's going to be very little way out if we do not increase population rates soon, right. very soon. What's
0: interesting with uh, with his... Uh his focus on this and is that it runs counter to most very wealthy people's focus. Usually you'll find, going way back, uh, Mm -hmm. so many of these wealthy, wealthy industrialists and in in today, uh, you could say Gates Mm -hmm. and other foundations where population Mm -hmm. control, Rockefeller Foundation, you know, seem to be focused on the, the other side. of Oh, we need to, we need to cut down on how many people are going to be there. Uh, Euler packard Packard's Foundation, also was involved in that. It's interesting.
1: Yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, it's, uh, uh, unfortunately, they haven't been looking at the demographic data either. And, uh, you know, Gates actually, uh, the Gates Foundation does a lot of good research. Mm -hmm. But in this point, I mean, it's like baffling. Uh, Are you not seeing Mm -hmm. the obvious? here. And so, um, you know, honestly, this is based on really good data. And by the way, like I said, Musk was screaming about this five years ago. Mm -hmm. And so, um, you know, he's again repeating the warning because it's obviously a huge concern. All developing nations will have a per capita drop in Mm -hmm. income. This is totally unwarranted, but it will have a per capita drop in income across the board by about 50 percent by 2076, because of the implosion, so just get ready, everybody. Mm-hmm. This is not—we're not, not going to escape this lightly unless we increase the population, and that means we can't just maintain a 2.1, um, you know, uh, you know, population. Uh, that that would be, you know, the, the so-called right. even level. We're going to have to actually go up to about three children per couple is probably gonna be the, the, the necessity. Otherwise, like I said, yeah. we will experience problems. And we just can't continue to turn to the developing world because we're gonna brain drain them. Uh, yeah. We're gonna, uh, I mean, of course, we might be a little better off, uh, but we're gonna then fall together right. developing and um, um, you know developed countries will fall together.
0: Uh, in a related story, here, here we're moving into January, which is obviously a big mm-hmm. pro-life month. Certainly on EWTN with our coverage yeah, of sure. Walk for Life West Coast, uh, One Life LA, mm-hmm. the March for Life out of Washington D.C. Hopefully, all of those See. will be able to happen. Uh, mm-hmm. There was an article, uh, I think it was in the New York Times, and this is an article I picked up from from our own uh, Catholic news agency, which pointed out that pro-life leaders say they are deeply disturbed by a recent. New York Times investigation that found some prenatal blood tests have alarmingly high false positives for genetic disorders that frequently result in the abortion of unborn children. It goes on to say that the test positive results are wrong about 85 percent of the time. and This is according to the New York Times. Yet a positive test can result to a death sentence basically for an unborn child. Prenatal testing for conditions such as Down syndrome have been commonplace for decades. As we all know, in some countries, upwards of 95 percent of the babies who are diagnosed with Down syndrome in utero are actually aborted. But can you imagine that? I mean, it's not only the idea that people are doing this and thinking it's a good idea even if they're going to have a child with special needs, but that 85 percent of the time the
1: information they're getting is incorrect? Yeah, no. I mean, uh, if the, I mean honestly, it sounds just like that good old Nazi propaganda attempt uh, to basically convince a lot of people uh, to have abortions in the quote-unquote inferior classes. Right. Um, you know, instead of kind of forcing abortion uh, as China did for decades uh, on their population, um, the, the Nazis used a very crafty method, right? Uh, to um, to basically lie to the people about, you know, uh, uh, genetic defects and things of that nature. And so we've, uh, you know, we're not uh, too different, you know, in some of our established uh, customs. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I don't, I, I'm not a conspiracy theorist. Uh, I'm not gonna say that this is, uh, you know, somebody's plot and some sinister backroom, uh, you know, uh, cigar smoking um, place. But mm-hmm. uh, on the other hand, If you've got data like that being published in the New York Times you know that data had to be available at least two years ago in the New England Journal of Medicine and with other research factors why haven't they stopped using these tests well you know I mean because you say oh we don't have another test but a test that's 85 percent wrong should not be used. Right, right. I mean, uh, basically, we should assume that the baby is normal, uh, you know, and you shouldn't be assuming otherwise until you have proof positive and this test, more often wrong than right, should not be an indicator thereof. Right. So, I mean, we pretty much have, uh, you, know, uh, uh, you know, a case where the test has to be stopped. Uh, And we should be finding some other methods if people want to, you know, to test for that. But I think the assumption should be that the baby will be normal because most of the time the baby is normal. And, you know, like I said, this could have been predicted a long while back because when you start having, you know, a greater and greater population percentage that's suddenly becoming abnormal in pregnancy, normally that's aberration not in um, you know the population the aberrations taking place in the collection of data mm-hmm. that's you know that should be the first indicator hey something's wrong here and now of course we find out that it's, it could be wrong 85 percent of the time what a horrible verdict that is on you know uh, the medical system right. that has been promoting these tests so uh, anyway I, I leave it at that right absolutely And uh, one last thing I
0: wanted to comment on here. uh, uh, With the Mm -hmm. Wednesday audience, our Holy Father kind of tied into this idea uh, uh, on these topics of life. And he talked about Francis's catechism, the Holy Father's lesson, focused on the figure of Joseph, the quote-unquote foster father of Jesus. Francis repeated his call for couples to have more children to address the demographic winter in much of the West. Yeah. And he called for couples who can't have children to be open to adoption. This is from an article in Crux. And he goes on to say, this kind of choice is among the highest forms of love and of fatherhood and motherhood. He said, how many children in the world are waiting for someone to
1: take care of them? Yeah, I, I totally agree. And, you know, um, I'm a fan of Dr. Ray Gurindi as you probably know. Right, and, right. and uh, I mean, here's the adopted father of 10 kids. Uh, absolutely you know he's not only a hilarious guy but a wise faith-filled adoptive father and and i i have to tell you that as i look at that and i hear his stories yes there is a lot of humor in all of it and Mm -hmm. uh, there's a lot of love but he and his wife they just go after the you know even though they know there's going to be sacrifices they through their faith bring a an abundance of love for these kids right out of that and it is one of the highest forms of love and it's one of the most beautiful things to witness um you know it's it's just how these kids you know they they are you know they they you know this this one one of Ray's kids at one point said to him you know well dad you know uh uh you know uh do you love me kind of any less uh, because uh uh, I, I was adopted, uh, uh, you know, or mm-hmm. something of that nature. And of course, Ray looks at him and he goes, "No, mm-hmm. do you think uh, that I I love your mother any less? Right, right. Uh, because uh, da 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 da." And so he goes on through. Because right, I'm not thing. related to uh, her,
0: right, directly. Yeah, exactly, right,
1: exactly, right, exactly. Right, right, right. So uh, so he goes through the whole thing. And then the next thing, of course, is the kid looks at him and he goes shrugs his shoulder and goes, okay, goes yeah, off yeah. to play basketball. <laughs> absolutely. So, I mean, I, I just love it, but, you know, there's just, there's real beauty, generosity, love, and, of course, all built upon the foundation of faith uh, that's there. And Pope Francis is absolutely correct. We do need to have more kids. I think that in itself is a loving act. I mean, right now, you know, to to think that okay, let's give up the third child. We need the Benz, you know, uh, whatever the Mercedes Benz or something. Uh, We need you know a bigger house or something. Uh, Let's give up the third child or the fourth child, whatever it may be. I just think, oh, resist the culture, resist it at its roots. It's just so utterly wrong. There's nothing. Better than you know, you say, Well, okay, it's so easy for you, Spencer. You're a celibate, you know, and that's true. All I could do is hold my little nieces and nephews in my arms, but I'll tell you one thing. I love those kids dearly in their adulthood. And I just tell you, I think it's just the most wonderful thing in the whole world that I got treated to them. And there's nothing better than new life, new intellect, new eternity coming into the world, blessed as it is with the intuition of God that's inside of them that manifests itself so beautifully. There's nothing better than, the, you know, my little nephew Nicholas one day telling his mom, you know, Mom, I've been thinking about it. (laughs) I really love you. I mean, she practically drives off the road because, of course, you know, Nicholas had to think about it. But, I mean, it's so endearing. It's so right. It's so meaningful. It so hits at the depth of the meaning of life. And, you know, when when you really look at that, you know, what could be better? You know, are you kidding me? Some new... You know, car that'll be, you know, right. I'll do deference to Elon Musk there. Uh, but, you know, that are you kidding me? That could possibly, right. couldn't possibly replace well, what do you, uh, the beauty, eternity, mystery, transcendentality right. of that creature created with an immortal soul a child
0: now back in the eighties and nineties I would have thought one of the major things were were possessions and people's success and I'm not saying that's not part yeah. of it now but there seems to be also yeah. uh, an increased amount among young people and you'd probably know even better because having spent that time in Gonzaga mm-hmm. and the work you've been doing mm-hmm. uh, reaching people uh, young adults and, and, and teenagers mm-hmm. in the sense of a, a fear of, oh, the world is, in a sense, is like this is a horrible world to bring a child into, combined yeah. with, well, the climate change. I mean, there's a, there's a bunch of people out there who actually think that somehow the world's going to end or become such a horrible place
1: to exist in in a, in a very near future, which is ridiculous. It's totally ridiculous. Uh, I mean, Musk is correct. The overpopulation folks are totally wrong. We are not at a resource shortage at all. Every single year, we bring new technologies on the market for better and better kinds of greens, better and better insecticides, better and better bacterial control, more and more clean water, better and better irrigation systems for less and less money, new kinds of energy sources, not just solar energy sources and so forth, but the big, big kinds of new energy sources like fusion, things of that nature. They're all coming on. They're blasting. Our, our population has, uh, you know, as, as the population has increased over the last several decades, well, what have we seen? We've seen that, that the uh, um, per capita income has gone up by a factor of four times in the developing countries. I'm talking in the so-called quote-unquote overpopulated countries. They're not overpopulated. Their education level is going up. Their per capita income is going up, et cetera, at the very same moment. They're getting access to all kinds of technologies, s- uh, these very cheap cell phones that can do so many different things, mm-hmm. microloans and so many different levels. It's so sophisticated right now with the computer. Technology and you know technology is the solution to the, Mal- the so-called Malthusian crisis, right? I mean, you know, Malthus was one of these guys who's actually an English clergyman, right. uh, you know, and an economist who predicted that you know that the scarcity of, of resources is going to eventually cause you know disease and so forth and so on because the overpopulation is increasing at what's called an exponential level, where the population, excuse me, is increasing at an exponential level, and whereas the the resources are increasing. Only at an arithmetic level crisis 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 never happened because technology was the x factor technology not just in agriculture not just in energy resources but in computation in communication and in education etc etc all these kinds of technologies have completely not only averted the population crisis they've actually made all of these factors go in uh, the exact opposite direction from what you would have predicted, uh, you know, on the basis of the so-called Malthusian formula, which has been proven, by the way, for a century, for over a century to be dead wrong. Right. So, I mean, uh, I mean, and still, of course, old Malthus is dragged out uh, you right. know, like, like some hackneyed. Po- political propaganda statement you know and I mean I just can't even believe it but right. people well, do believe it and then getting to well, your question young people right. yeah of course they're taken into it they, they, they think you know this is the sophisticated answer their university professors totally ignorant of course of the facts and the data standing behind this please read the Lancet Uh, article and the other demographic articles, please look, you know, before you make these statements to your students, uh, please make, you know, a note of what's going on in agricultural technology, what's going on in hydroponic farming, what's going on in fusion technologies, what's going on in new solar storage and batteries, Mm -hmm. what's going on? I mean, it's like, I mean, there's a billion different things going on out there. I mean, we're going to be able to create, if we get cheap enough energy, we'll create a vortex, right? Uh, You can create a machine, a huge machine, but it creates kind of a vortex which will suck in all the carbon uh, uh, you know, po- uh, you know, uh, particles and, and molecules right, in right. a particular area or region and be able to reprocess all that carbon uh, into a kind of a clean coal or a fuel mm-hmm. at the very same moment it'll be pushing out um, oxygen uh, into the atmosphere. So, I mean, uh, I don't think this is, you know, I mean, we're panicking right and left. When technology has shown over the last many decades that it can actually not only overcome, you know, uh, difficulties that could be, um, you know, uh, uh, right. uh, supplemented by a scarcity of uh, resources, but of course, is not only that, but has actually doubled and tripled mm. the resources at the very same moment that the population was increase was increasing. Malthus is wrong. Mm. We all have to own up to it now. Let's take Elon Musk very literally, look at the Lancet for the demographic data, and quit preaching this hackneyed old, you know, uh, uh, you know, no. kind of propaganda Paul that's Ehrlich, been put out by the United recall. Nations. And, right, remember yeah. Paul Ehrlich, Yeah, right. In yeah, the last exactly. century, was... <laughs> Yep, yep. He I remember. He was it all out,
0: and uh, the, yeah. that's how uh, yeah. kind of Malthus updated there, so. Oh, uh, yeah, absolutely. Okay, let's move on to uh, one of our questions before we hit the break here. Uh, Sure. Dear Father Spitzer, we thank God for the gift of your priesthood. Given your experience as president of Gonzaga University, are you concerned about the liberalism taught to our young at quote-unquote Catholic universities throughout our nation? Do you see a return to our true Catholic identity? Owen.
1: Well, Owen, um, you know, there's just... Several different factors that are that are involved uh, in this, um, but let me answer your last question first. I do see a return um, uh, that's going to happen, but it's not going to happen through the ways that we think, uh, going through the ordinary professorships, et cetera, et cetera. I think what you're going to see coming into some of these Catholic universities. Now, of course, there's there's 10 mm. percent of the Catholic universities around the nation are pre-Orthodox mm-hmm. um, right now, and they're going to stay so. Um, now you would think, well, what about the other 90% that are you know, <laughs> sort of tipping on the edge there? What's, what about them? And, and I would say, first of all, you're seeing more and more professors coming in through the ranks who really do have faith on their mind. Uh, remember how I was talking about? I think there's two weeks ago how young scientists among young scientists um, their um, level of theism is 66 percent, mm. whereas if you just take the ordinary population that averages the young scientists with the old scientists, it's only 51 percent theists. It's certainly not what the propaganda tells you that the majority of scientists are atheists. They certainly are not. I mean, um, I mean, 51 percent are theists and. And then, of course, about uh, uh, there's 41 percent who are either agnostics or atheists, so let's just say 21 percent are agnostics, 20 percent are probably atheists. Mm -hmm. So of course, this propaganda is another completely hackneyed old thing that's been trotted out a million times over, dead wrong as usual. Now the point, though, that I think is uh, is key here Mm -hmm. is that Um, You know, people are are already there. There's engineers, there's business guys, there's scientists. They're coming in, as it were, they're young people, right? They're coming in through the back door. They're coming in through the tenure track, but they are talking about religion. They're forming little groups on campus. They're speaking to the Knights of Columbus chapters on the campus, or they're speaking to, uh, you know, other groups you know, about little faith and science things. So it starts off small but I, I see it happening a- already. You have groups like the Fellowship of Catholic University students and they go to Catholic schools as well as to public schools and of course they begin to, you know, supplement what's going on in campus ministries and sometimes uh, you know, they, they call kids back, I mean I, I go to their conferences quite frequently mm-hmm. and I, as I said I've seen uh, uh, of course, they've been canceled in Covid for a little while here, but but by and large, you know, they can have twelve thousand kids uh, you know right. or more come into these conferences where seven thousand will go to confession for the first time in a year or two. Right. So, I mean, it's it's pretty amazing what's going on there. But again, it's happening. Uh, through avenues you you wouldn't expect, but it's typical Holy Spirit, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, this is just exactly how the Holy Spirit works. So, I mean, through, you know, the main academic establishment, they're still waving the the same old anti-faith banners. But while all around them, especially in um, the schools of science, the schools of engineering, the schools of business, the professional schools, maybe the liberal arts, yes, they're waving the old uh, humanistic, uh, atheistic banner, and they're deconstructing themselves out of existence. But what I find so hilarious is all of their majors are plummeting downward while the science, engineering, and business is going right through the ceiling. And so I'm just beginning to think to myself... Yeah, you can pretty much see what the trend is here. The Holy Spirit is coming in all kinds of back doors. I think um, the the number of student prayer groups that's going on on campus is really kind of amazing. And, you know, eventually, you know what's going to take hold? Our university administrators are going to begin to see uh, people on the boards of directors of these schools are going to be, you know, boards of trustees of these schools are going to begin to see, you know, I mean, uh, we better get with the trend here. Uh, These kids are actually more religious and more theistic than we are in the main, and we're not convincing them at all. They're just going off and doing their own things. We may as well at least try uh, to to make an attempt to accommodate where they are.
0: Right, exactly. Yeah. It seems like a choice should be made of let's be Catholic or let's stop calling ourselves Catholic. Yeah, and we're going right. to have to take a break with that and, uh, and think of the Holy Spirit's yeah. great work in the Magic Center, and certainly at EWTN wouldn't be here without them. Stay with us. Much more ahead with Father Spitzer after this short break. Thanks. Thank you for staying with us, part two of Father Spitzer's Universe. And of course, we're talking about the signs of demonic possession on the topic for this show as part of Father's book, Satan in Our Daily Lives. We turn once again to Father to answer some uh, previous questions uh, people have sent in to us. Let's move ahead to another one. Uh, Dear Father Spitzer, a priest friend recently confided in me that he no longer really believes what the church teaches about the real presence. He sees it as a symbolic situation rather than the true body and blood of our Savior. How does this affect the validity of his Masses? Should he cease saying Mass? Should I say something to the bishop? This is Alan.
1: Well, Alan, I would say it doesn't affect the validity of his Mass because uh, if his, you know. basically, if he is doing the right ex opere operatum, then, you know, the sacrament should actually uh, confer, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, the sacrament upon uh, the people. Uh, But it certainly affects the licitness of what he's doing. I mean, it is, gosh, I I think for authenticity's sake. The first thing to do, Alan, is to suggest to him that he talk to his own bishop about possibly taking some time off of his ministry mm-hmm. because um, I, I don't think he should be authentically um, doing this. I, I think it's just wrong uh, to to basically perpetrate uh, a fraud, not in, in terms of the sacramental effectiveness, but to perpetrate... A fraud, of you know, um, of uh, you know, performing mm-hmm. uh, you know a, a rite which for you does not have the value which Christ instilled in it. I mean, again, why he has these doubts, um, I'm not sure. But you know, there is a terrific amount of good historical exegesis that has been done on this as I said by Johannes Betz and others Mm -hmm. uh, that really talk about why Jesus intended and how Jesus intended his real presence in the Eucharist. Mm -hmm. Uh, There is also a tremendous amount of um, uh, you know evidence in John 6 Mm -hmm. which I just think is incontrovertible. I mean if the guy, you know, unless he's just relegated the whole Gospel of John uh, to uh, mythology, mm. I mean, uh, and if he's done that, he really ought to just, you know, why not just, uh, uh, you know, call it, call it quits for a while to his priesthood, because I don't think he should mm. practice. I, I really don't. Right, right. I think, um, I think that's, it's almost a fraud, uh, really, and you should get somebody else who really uh, is, right. is a believer, and then, then, you know, also I would venture to say um, that these new Eucharistic miracles, I mean, they're right. I mean, like I said, this, this, the one in Sokolka, Poland is just uh, head scratching to me, mm-hmm. where you actually see the live tissue, uh, heart tissue growing out of the substance of the host so completely integrated that it's just a few microns of differentiation between this complex interweaving of the two substances. I mean, we don't even have NASA technology can't even pull that off. Mm-hmm. Could somebody explain that to me if it's not a miracle? Mm-hmm. And, and by the way, the, the Texla miracle and, um, uh, in 2006 in Mexico, there's also features there where you can actually see um, you know, that the um, movement of the blood is from the interior of the host to the exterior. That's something you really can't fake very well mm-hmm. at all, um, because of course you can actually uh, uh, tell, um, you know, if something has been sort of introduced in order to portray the effect. Right. So that's another one that's just an cult. And then in all three Eucharistic miracles, the Buenos Aires 1996 the Tixula in 2006, and the Sokolka in 2008, you can see that um, the white blood cells are um, uh, basically embedded in the the ventricle walls of the cardiac tissue. And so, uh, uh, in this cardiac tissue, and um, those white blood cells would ordinarily die uh, unless the tissue had been removed from a beating heart. Um, before the death of the person so in other words if death occurs you wait a few um, you know um, parts of a minute and you get uh, you're going to get zero white blood cells or next to zero you're certainly not going to get a proliferation of white blood cells plus the Mm -hmm. the fact that they're embedded in the cardiac tissue uh, also indicates that um, the uh, the uh, tissue, uh, you know, obviously was mm-hmm. traumatized, so uh, the person was put under a polytrauma or some kind of a torturous uh, sort of a traumatic event. Mm-hmm. So uh, th- these are all things that are, you know, <laughs> you know very, very, very difficult to explain, um, unless of course the, the tissue really is what people purport, that it is right. a, a miraculous occurrence growing out of the substance of a consecrated host. So those are some of the, the thoughts there. Um, but uh, like I said, I you know maybe nothing is convincing to him, right. but I think his best plan is to take a break from his right. priesthood. He should not practice it and be completely inauthentic to his vocation and to the promises he made to our Lord. He shouldn't do it.
0: Right like you said if you're advertising Catholic, it should be Catholic and for some reason yeah, you can't exotic. do that then you should make sure people understand yeah. that uh, this isn't Catholic anymore let's move on to yeah. your uh, your book Christ versus Satan in our daily lives uh, we were talking about the section uh, the reality of divine goodness and spiritual evil page one forty three we had just uh, talked a little bit about uh, the, the idea of possession, a demonic spirit of spirits inhabits a person's body but not his soul. You had kind of stipulated the difference. You mentioned that uh, when threatened with exorcism, you go on to say the demon's first tactic is to hide behind the victim's personality, making it appear no. that nothing's wrong. But when confronted by holy objects and prayers of exorcism, it will generally emerge to confront the exorcist directly.
1: That's correct. And so, in other words, as, you know, practically every author has pointed out, right, the evil spirit's first tactic is always to remain hidden. So, even though the person is falling into a trance-like state, right, the eyes are rolling back into the person's head and, um, you know, the various uh, uh, signs are present, um, you know, there's always even that same attempt to, uh, you know, make like everything is normal when he's not in a trance-like state, which causes doubt, right? So, you you know, that's his, his typical object. Because most of the time, right, uh, people who are possessed, they're like possessed about 10% of the time. Mm-hmm. They're not in trances more than about 10% of the time. 90% of the time they look pretty normal, uh, you know, and you, you, you really wouldn't know but of course then you're given the indication that when they start levitating off the bed or religious objects start flying around the room uh, that have no propulsion from any known physical source uh, right etc cetera, etc cetera. when all this stuff starts to happen then you begin to think to yourself, hmm, mm. you know, there's something very interesting here. Or when your friend, who's never studied a word of Latin, begins to speak Latin fluently, like Robbie Mannheim, mm. or you know, when you begin to see that, you know, uh, for example, in the case of Julia, one of the ones that Dr. Richard Gallagher uh, uh, pos- possessions he was present. The, the exorcisms, he was present. Uh, you know, she's talking on the phone, right? Uh, uh, you know, between him and the exorcist when they're not even within proximity of her. Mm -hmm. She knew they were on the phone talking about her case and comes right on the line and is talking, you know, in the devil voice, et cetera. So the point I'm trying to get to is there are so many uh, paranormal phenomena that, that, uh, you know, that are present, um, you know, that Mm -hmm. you you can't explain by (laughs) physics, really. And so uh, because you, you see these things happening, especially the levitations or the, you know, the objects flying around and, you know, the knowledge, you know, that that these uh, spirits have of not only the Mm -hmm. exorcist and the psychiatrist, but, you know, of people that, you know, are hardly even known to them. I mean, they they couldn't possibly know these things, Hmm. yet they do. Language is unknown. That's what, of course, gives it away. And the devil finds it quite irresistible, you know, when the exorcism right begins. He wants to fight it. Mm -hmm. he wants to fight it and he wants to fight our Lord and he is a hateful and spiteful person and so once it begins and the eyes roll back uh, believe me the devil comes right out into the open and um, so that uh, uh, you know the person also is really feeling you know that uh, um, you know that sense of being resisted inside you can see that uh, you know as the trance begins they are fighting it. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're fighting the, the emergence of the, of the evil spirit. The evil spirit hasn't taken over their soul. The right. evil spirit is just taking over their uh, imagination and taking over, uh, you know, their bodily right. Uh, functions. Right. And you also talk about
0: here as, in well, as well about yeah. the idea of the difference between possession and what you call severe oppression. In that yep. the latter, the demon yep. does not inhabit the victim with the intent to stay. So, how do you know the difference yeah. between those two?
1: Uh, because generally, um, you know, there's a difference of degree. Um, you know, the, with the, with severe oppression, um, it, you know, the, the the devil seems to be gone for a, a, a fairly long period of time. There's spaces, or he's just not present. You know, and so it be, it begins to look as if okay, you know. Um, Uh, This person is not, and then all of a sudden he's back again, Mm -hmm. Um, and you go, well, wait a minute here. Uh, Maybe he is possessed, but, you know, when you see long spaces, things of that nature, uh, that generally indicates that it's oppression, it's not possession. Because uh, if the devil really is possessing a person, it comes out, and it comes out fairly frequently. Like I said, you know, 10% of the time, 90% of the time, he's... They're perfectly normal. Right. But then, uh, you know, these things start up almost spontaneously, and the person uh, is not in control uh, when these things right. uh, start up. So, um, yeah, well, let me so ask you, there really is a difference.
0: I, I mean, the one, in, in some ways, oppression is a little scarier because of the fact that you're saying here that basically opening oneself to demonic possession, you need to open yourself up to be possessed, but you're saying you don't need to do yeah. that
1: to suffer uh, under oppression. So, how does one become oppressed well, no, if oppression they Oppression begins, generally oppression begins with somebody having opened themselves okay. up. Okay. And, and so what happens is, is that, you know, the devil hasn't taken possession of them yet because they haven't opened themselves up completely. I see. So his attempt is basically to try and get in there and to try and, you know, get a so more almost like the early footing. stages,
0: in a sense. It's like the early be. stages. Like if you're using a Ouija board, there might be some, you know,
1: but the more yeah. one becomes involved, or are somehow doing Or uh, then some... one starts, you know, saying, gosh, I'm getting in over my head, I'm going to confession. Mm-hmm. And you kind of stop mid-course and you're starting to go to confession. You start turning things around. Mm-hmm. Now, of course, the evil spirit will obviously want to prevent this from happening but he's not fully inside of you yet you have to freely bring him on in and if you're fighting it if you're going to confession if you're doing these things then of course all he can do then is uh, try to you know oppress you and then of course the exorcism will help an oppressed person definitely mm-hmm. will help an oppressed person to stave off um, the uh... Uh, you know any full possession and in fact to stave off the devil completely I mean um, and there's mm-hmm. a lot of successful um, exorcisms of, of uh, oppression cases mm-hmm. um, you know not all but I'd say the majority probably are but um, you know uh, more professional exorcists would know uh, better than me okay. like. Uh, Uh, Father Gary Thomas, or something.
0: Okay, under the paranormal manifestations of demonic possession, on page one forty-five, you go through different Mm -hmm. ones. It's ways of understanding or 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 demonstrating Mm -hmm. that something's going on, like poltergeist activity. Everybody remembers the movie. So, what's what's a poltergeist,
1: and how does it relate to possession? Yeah, it's really it's not a possession. It's it's mischievous activity that's generally associated with a haunting. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, and so, uh, uh, you know, the haunting of a house, for example. So a poltergeist uh, is not even necessarily evil. Uh, You know, a poltergeist could be just, you know, some kind of a human spirit or something that's just sticking around and wanting to be mischievous and say, I'm here, Mm -hmm. you know, and, uh, you know, but it's not really necessarily evil or malicious and it doesn't feel evil or malicious. Mm -hmm. Now sometimes of course hauntings can definitely be (coughs) evil or malicious so uh, you can obviously see uh, hauntings where there is a threat to a person Mm -hmm. or there is almost a precursor to oppression right where uh, you know you you, you almost have to move out uh, because it is so uh, haunting, in indeed, uh, and so. But you know, basically, the, the 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 mischief is is in the actual room or the house or the dwelling. Mm-hmm. It is not uh, necessarily attached to the person. I see. Now there can be things that look like oppressions that actually happen to very holy people, mm-hmm. like Padre Pio or John Vien, St. John Vieni and so forth now these two you know obviously they had uh... an exorcism ministry uh... the two of them and uh, the evil spirit definitely uh, you know uh... didn't like what they were doing mm-hmm. and the lord allowed you know that struggle uh... to happen uh... you know in fact john vianney i would say was would be bugged, you know, bothered by the devil even banging his bed around, you know, probably 90% of the time, you know, the devil was just there kind of bothering him and, and you know, a, a kind of, a, you know, attacking him, but he didn't, you know, it, it, the devil was not part of him, mm-hmm. you know, the devil was just trying to slow him down, keep him awake, you know, every single hour that John Vianney spent in a confessional, was uh... you know tripling the devil's work mm. uh... you know so he was uh... uh definitely um, uh... you know trying to resist him at all turns and we see this happening right that the evil spirit actually uh... tries to bother uh... holy people sometimes on a regular basis mm. like with Padre Pio or John Vianney or sometimes on an irregular basis like uh... you know uh, St. Teresa of Avila mm. and so forth so we can see you know the that they can be very, very obstinate, and uh, you know, um, and they can be very. They try to be scary, yeah. but most of these saints oh. just look at him and basically just, you know, you know, just uh, toss him off as if he's nothing. Because next to God, he is nothing. Right? You know, he's he's a toss off. And, um, but why, you know, why do you and, think uh, it would be
0: that our Lord would allow that, and is permissible, to allow that to continue to happen to such a, a holy person like that? Is it for their I benefit? The, is it, yes, would be the reason? yeah. Uh,
1: I think it's the cross is, you know, is always part of the way of Jesus' purification. Mm-hmm. We need the cross. Mm-hmm. The Lord knows better than any of us how much we need the cross. For our purification of course he chooses the crosses that we can handle so with the respect to Padre Pio and Saint John Vieni, he knew they could handle you know the devil bothering them you know that they would just toss it off you know and and you know get right back to their ministry but at the same time they could get a very curative purifying benefit of further detachment from their egos. That's the main thing with saintly people, right, is detachment from ego. Mm -hmm. The sensual stuff, um, sometimes with some saints, um, you know, seemingly maybe like Saint Anthony or something, the sensual things, the devil was always coming back to that um, uh, part too, Mm -hmm. but also with a lot of saints, it's it's the, the ego thing, and you think, oh, I finally, you know, I'm detached from the world. I'm detached from my ego. And then all of a sudden Mm -hmm. you can just see there's this other little crafty element, Mm -hmm. you know, where the devil wants to play it up, right? Mm -hmm. So he doesn't have many choices left, so he has to come out and play these trump cards that he thinks he has, right? But they're really not trump cards. Mm -hmm. They're just things that he has kept hidden, you know, for a surprise attack but then once you know he uses that surprise attack then you're on to him mm-hmm. and you you know the, the Lord says okay you can handle this you know you you go ahead and uh, you, you know uh, use this to your good benefit it's part of the purification process it's like their own uh, kind of dark night okay. uh, as you might call it okay Very. Mm-hmm. Right, moving on from poltergeist activity you got
0: levitation which uh, mm-hmm. you mentioned before this one, uh, I thought maybe this was one that was I was dealing with the excessive weight of an individual. Uh, uh, is, that, is that the demon of gluttony or something there no, hitting us no. there? What what is this excessive weight thing?
1: Uh, well, it, it's it's the kind of the craziest thing you've ever seen. Uh, it goes both ways. Uh, basically, you can't even begin to lift this person off a of bed, mm-hmm. and then suddenly, they themselves, without any human. Uh, being or any other physical force touching them are levitating six inches off the bed. Mm-hmm. And of course, you try and pull them down, you can't budge them. You can't do anything with them. You can't lift them up, you can't pull them down. It's almost like they're in a tractor beam, you know, or whatever you might want, want to call it. Mm-hmm. But I mean, it, it, it's definitely. Uh, not uh, physical in any way that we know of mm-hmm. and of course uh, I don't think anybody's come in there with some electromagnetic test because it's really not mm-hmm. uh, you know kind of an electromagnetic force field that's going on it's something that transcends a, a physical reality and so in a, in a way um, you know these levitations uh, yeah the, the the weight factor you, you, you can't even begin to lift that person off the ground or off the bed. I mean, not even an inch. You can't pull them down onto the bed. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're just doing it. In fact, uh, I believe in the Robbie Mannheim case, if I'm not mixing it up with another case, mm-hmm. I think um, there was a minister who tried to, uh, you know, he went initially to his own- um, A Lutheran uh, minister. minister right. A, a right. Lutheran right. minister, yeah. Right. And I think he put him under a bed, you know, and Robbie just you right. know the whole bed lifted up with robbie underneath it and you know robbie was levitating off the ground lifting the bed off the ground so i mean uh... uh it's pretty strange you know right. i mean you can pretty much see uh... that these kinds of phenomena are definitely not normal we can call it paranormal uh... because of that and and so uh... in a way right. uh... these things do happen and certainly like you know the exorcists in the Mannheim case you know they came in with relics or they came in with holy water and this stuff would just literally fly out of their hands or Mm -hmm. you know they put it on a shelf and you know out the window you know on its own the holy water would go you know um, uh, crashing right through the the window or um, you know going right across the room and smashing a wall on the other side In fact the whole bookshelves not just religious objects you know they just move whole bookshelves worth of, you know things across the room and uh, as I said with John Vianney his bed was always going up and down all the time Uh, so uh, yeah these paranormal activity are definitely indicators so we had uh, poltergeist levitation
0: excessive weight and telepathy and if we can (laughs) read the mind of the producer and director we have to End the show. So, Father, if you will uh, have to pick up on that next time, Uh, give us uh, your blessing. That'd be great. Very
1: good. Bow your heads and pray for God's blessing. And may the Lord of all love, consolation, and wisdom send his spirit down upon you to keep you in the knowledge of who he is, how he is drawing you to himself through both the cross and your successes, through your faith and also through your purification so that you might willingly and docilely follow him into the fullness of that light and bring many with you whom you touch. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Amen. Thank you so much, Father Spitzer. Stay well. We shall
0: see you next time, and we hope to see you as well. Don't forget that Father Spitzer's books and videos are available on EWTN's Religious Catalog in demand and also uh, directly from the Catalog, and next week we'll continue with our Signs of Demonic Possession. Uh, EWTN's book, Mark, I had a great time talking to John Martinoni about his book Blue Collar Apologetics. You can check that out. Very popular book and also the Solemnity of the Epiphany of the Lord live from St. Peter's Basilica in Rome is Thursday January 6th live at 4 a.m. re-airing at 11 a.m. Eastern Time on EWTN where you can find all things Catholic and the solemn mass of the baptism of our Lord from the Basilica National Shrine of Immaculate Conception in Washington DC Sunday January 9th at 7 p.m. you can find everything here Inside Father's Princess Universe and Inside EWTN's wonderful programming mix. I'm Doug Keck. We'll see you next time. Thanks.